Welcome in to episode 125 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Statman, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo Inglisa. As we watch, we live, remember, different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, Angelo, I know, I know you were clamoring for more WCW Spring Stampede. Two out of the last three shows that we have watched for this program. Our WCW Spring Stampede, what, a few weeks ago it was 94, right? 94, and by the way, there's six of them, and these are the first two we've done, so I guess it's just overdue. Yeah. Uh, ruthless regression, if you will. Yes, uh, and I, I honestly can't wait to knock out every single fucking one of them, uh, because this one was actually not that bad. We got WCW Spring Stampede 1999, which... When doing some research about this show before I actually like watched it and put all my notes down, uh, encountered in a couple of places that Spring Stampede 1999 has been called potentially the last good pay-per-view or at least well-received pay-per-view that WCW ever did in its history, which is which is worse when you consider they existed for two more full years after this. And this is the last good pay-per-view that they ever did. And it's like, it's not that good. It's like, it's, it's fine. You know, it's in terms of a WCW pay-per-view, especially, uh, post like, like Starcade, uh, 97 and like the, the, the super hot, like peak of the NWO angle. Uh, like this is this is like for this period it's really good. There's like three good matches. There's a couple other ones that are fine. There's some stuff that doesn't matter. There's a kind of confusing main event. But overall when you're judging on the curve of WCW, it's yeah, I mean I would say it's really not that bad and there's some there's some pretty fun stuff on here. So been really looking forward to talking about this one. What's going on, Ann? Yeah, I mean, this was a really good one. I was uh, unfortunately away last weekend, so put put the pause on the podcast, so to speak. Had to get out of New Jersey weather. Got to enjoy some Florida vibes. But this was a good show relative to you know what you consider for this time. The good things were really good. You do get a good moment in isolation, even if it doesn't get there well. Uh, with DDP standing tall. And then the bad parts are mostly just boring tune-out spots, which, you know, we've seen plenty worse. So yeah. I, I think generally this was a good show. I enjoyed it. Uh, and, and the stuff I enjoyed it was really good. Like the opening match, uh, Hoovy versus Blitzkrieg, who uh, you had mentioned Blitzkrieg two weeks ago at the end of our uh, last episode. And like, okay, why don't we know this guy? Because this guy was smooth as hell in the ring. Yes. Blitzkrieg was a guy, and we'll, we'll get into this very shortly because it's the lead uh, match on the show, uh, was a guy that just didn't wrestle very long. Uh, was a guy that undoubtedly, if he had stayed in wrestling, had, uh, you know, would have probably, you know, like today would maybe be considered like one of the greats of the era. But I think I think his deal was like, if I remember correctly, he got like a better paying job as like a like an IT guy for or something which and is incredible I wrestle anymore I, like i can i can make like good money and not like fucking you know injure myself all the time uh bam good i'm 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 good with wrestling and i get he, a 401k yes i'm yeah. the hell up yeah he gets health insurance you know like and he just was like all right i'm good and he just quit wrestling and never returned <laughs> but it's a guy that was like you know really 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 fucking good and and has the standout match of the show um, in the lead match with Juventud Guerrera, 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've got DDP. You, we got we got a big moment for Angelo and Glisa with the the Jersey God uh, DDP winning the WCW World Title for the first time in his career in the main event in a Fatal Four Way match. Uh, we've got a absolutely ball busting tag match between Benoit, Dean Malenko, and uh, fantastic. And I loved, and I, I am I'm looking forward to talking about. Uh, You're gonna steal 17 uh, things from. We've got the the three thousandth Scott Steiner Booker T match. Uh, we've, every single WCW show that we watch has Scott Steiner versus Booker T in some way, um, and this is like probably the most like medium version of the match. It's like it's aggressively fine. You know? I, I I really enjoyed it for their cartooniness of it, but. We have one of the spot festiest spot fests of all time between Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman. A match that is only spots. There's like <laughs> nothing in between any of the spots. But there's just them doing really cool moves the entire time. Uh, yeah, some fun stuff. I, I, I really, like I said, I enjoyed watching this match a lot. Or, or the show a lot more than I enjoy watching, I think, most WCW paper. I can't believe you didn't shut out Scotty Riggs. Uh, Scotty I, Riggs, legend guy, you know, big favor of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. I yeah. can't believe you ignored him. This is a Scotty Riggs podcast. Listen, I am on record as saying the American Males, one of the greatest tag teams of all time, and uh, I wish I could come out and steal their, their theme music, arguably the greatest wrestling theme song in the history of pro wrestling. Scotty Riggs, and I don't remember the name of the other guy who was in the American Males, but uh, fuck, who was the other guy in the American Males? Because it was another one of these types of guys that just hung around fucking WCW forever and just always had a job, even though he like just was never over. It wasn't him and Bagwell, was it? Was it Bagwell? It might have been Bagwell. Yeah, it was Bagwell. You're right. It was Bagwell. I, for some reason, I thought it was somebody else. I was blanking uh, on Buff's name until I th- remembered Buff, and I was like, oh yeah, Bagwell. He wasn't buff yet. He was still Marcus Bagwell. He was he ended up becoming buff. I think after he turned I think he turned heel on Scotty Riggs and then he became like buff Bagwell and started wearing the top hat and shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, Re- really fucking. I don't know if you just saw really fucking a sick reverse uh, touchdown by the Canes. Right? Oh, France. Uh, 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 yeah, looking looking good. Looking good for the Canes right now, folks. Buff Bagwell, I, I, a.k.a. pre Austin theory. We are we are uh, recording this on a college football Saturday where I'm going to like there, there is a, there is going to be a window towards the end of when we usually record this podcast that the Miami and WVU games are going to intersect. And that's when I'm going to have to talk about Hulk Hogan and the vibe. We're gonna <laughs> <laughs> I am torturing David today, but it sounds like we're ready to remember some guys, Angelo. Let's remember the guys, David. All right. Let's remember some guys. It is April 11th. 1999 we are at the tacoma dome in tacoma washington tacoma washington today known as swerve's house folks Wh- whose house swerve's house this swerve's house shout swerve shout out danielson yeah uh, i mean danielson's not from tacoma but he is from the from the washington area or he's from washington so shout out ever- all, all of the all of the great wrestlers from uh, Washington, of which we can think of exactly two. I mean, no, no more. Darby, Darby, Darby's Nick, from there, yeah. Darby and Nick Wayne are from Washington. Um, no, dude, we don't mention Nick Wayne on this podcast. That sniveling Christian leech. He's I gonna, he's going to stab on our Lord Christian. Christian is a baby face, folks. He's just he just wants to be a good father to all the young wrestlers out there. 
I, but we are we are at the Tacoma Dome in Tacoma, Washington, one of the uh, one of the bright burning centers of pro wrestling, Tacoma, Washington, uh, for like I said, what some call the last good WWE pay per view of all time. We have a sold out crowd, seventeen thousand six hundred and ninety here for Spring Stampede ninety nine. They are packing it in, and we do have you know they do have all their stars out here pretty much. Major, major star power in this main event, a fatal four-way match for the WCW title. Flair, Hogan, Sting, and DDP. I mean, that is a fucking who's who. We've also got Kevin Nash versus Goldberg. I mean, hey, I mean, if you're going to sell tickets, they, they've got their stars here in Tacoma, Washington. But as is custom for WCW, we start with some hot, blazing cruiserweight action with one of the most talented and trailblazing wrestlers you have never heard of, a guy who was, you can go back and, and and read about it, a guy who was a huge influence on the the California indie style that really kind of gave way to PWG and was a big influence on like the modern indie style that turned into, you know, a lot of what we see in AEW today. It is Blitzkrieg, a guy that, do yourself a favor, I, I know a lot of people haven't seen Blitzkrieg, do yourself a favor. He is really, you know, a guy that was probably ahead of his time and we're talking about it a little bit before. Uh, a guy that if he had just stayed in wrestling longer, uh, quit wrestling because he had other more profitable shit going on. But As in being an IT guy. If he stayed in wrestling longer, that guy is probably considered a real legend today. Um, who knows? Who knows what happens in his career? But it is Blitzkrieg, who was a really fun high flyer, taking on another great high flyer, Juventud Guerrera, who, unlike Blitzkrieg, is still wrestling today. He was actually just on the most recent episode of Impact. Uh, That's right, he was. Yeah, he was. He was in a six-man tag, uh, and he looked pretty good. He was still, you know, he's he's not in his prime anymore, but he can still do stuff, you know. Uh, so shout out to Hoovy. Well, but we she- had that we had that Hoovy Jericho match like what last year. Yeah, or a couple years ago, right? It was when MJF was doing the Labors of Jericho shit, right? Yes. That was, what, two years ago, maybe? Was that 2021 already? Jesus, pandemic. It was back than you might remember. But yeah, I think it was maybe a couple years ago. But yeah, I mean, movie, ju- folks, the juice, it's still loose. The he, juice, it's still loose. He looks juiced in this match. He does. As all the, I mean, like, you know, all, 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 the, all the Lucha guys ended up juicing at some point. Uh, because I'm pretty sure they probably don't test for steroids in AAA. Um <laughs> But we've got Tony Schiavone, Mike Tenay, Bobby the Brain Heenan on the call. Uh, Two thirds of the way to uh, my favorite booth of all time, but we don't have we don't have Dusty there. Um, and yeah, so we start off with Blitzkrieg and Hoovy, and this match is one of the, the really the standout things of the show, if not the standout match. We get some really crisp technical work early on between these two guys, and then we speed it up, and it's time to do some cool shit. Uh, we got Blitzkrieg. He hits the uh, the Great Muda handspring back elbow into the corner. Then uh, Hoovy uh, reverses him. Springboard missile drop kick to the floor. Huge dive over the top rope. Hits a brain buster, like a really nasty looking brain buster. Uh, puts him in the surfboard. Um, then Blitzkrieg fires back. He does this cool move in the corner where he like does like a kick flip off him in the corner, which <laughs> was really cool. And then hits him with a drop kick to the floor. He tries to do a dive, and then Hoovy drop kicks him out of midair on the floor, which was really cool. Um, then Blitz, uh, Blitzkrieg, this was uh, he, this was this was really cool. Um, 
he reverses a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker into an arm drag, throws Hoovy out, then does like the the biggest high spot of the match probably, or one of the biggest high spots of the match. Like the uh, he does like the springboard moonsault where he jumps up to the top rope, turns around on the top rope, and then does the acai moonsault to the floor. Bonkers, awesome. <laughs> um, really cool series of counters. Then Hoovy spikes him on the top of his fucking head with a reverse DDT. They do. This was the one fuck up. They have a lot of really cool mat, uh, moves in this match. This was the one thing that they fucked up. It looked like I think it kind of looked like Blitzkrieg was trying to do like a sliced bread off the top rope. But he, he like you see him slip like his foot slips off of the top rope and they kind of just like fuck it up and, and just uh, end Fall. up like crashing to the ground. But uh, then who that Blitzkrieg goes up. I assume that it was supposed to be Blitzkrieg doing a cool move because he's the one who goes for the next move. He like is like, all right, I go. Let's go to the next spot. He goes up to the top rope, um, goes for a Phoenix Splash, misses. Not many people doing Phoenix Splashes in uh in, in North America in the nineties. Um, he goes for a Phoenix Splash, misses. Hoovy goes for the Hoovy Driver. Blitzkrieg reverses it into a cradle for a big near fall. Blitzkrieg does this fucking crazy move where he like. Uh, he like starts in the electric chair, like on the top rope and then like spins and like flips over into like, a, like the fucking like Yoshi tonic, like, uh, like Cazadora driver that yeah. like Darby Allen does. Um, like it was fucking crazy. He was in his bag. Uh, <laughs> he hits the shit out of it. I was like, what the fuck was that? He hits it off the middle rope for a big near fall and then finish of the match. Um, Blitzkrieg goes for something again off the top rope. Hoovy then goes up and catches it into an absolutely fucking filthy, disgusting looking Hoovy driver off the middle rope. Just one of the nastiest looking things you will ever see in your life. I gasped and thought he killed him. Hoovy gets the pin and he wins the match. 11 minutes and 11 seconds. Uh, just a fucking like edge of your seat barn burner here. Uh, the one botch aside and I, I will say this. I mean, this is this is how Blitzkrieg was really thought of at the time. He, he didn't wrestle very long after this, uh, maybe just a year or two after this before he quit and then just was faded away. Um, he uh, Dave Meltzer here writes, uh, Blitzkrieg is far from a great wrestler today, but he is more spectacular then Rey Mysterio Jr., Juventud, or any of them were at the same stage of their career. Blitzkrieg's only like a few years in. I think he had wrestled for maybe three, four years at this point. That is like the way Blitzkrieg is thought of as like this kind of level of talent that we're maybe comparing him to Rey Mysterio, who was like the most spectacular wrestler in history by that point. Like a guy that just freaked people the fuck out with what he was able to do when he was like young and coming up. That is the that is the company that Blitzkrieg was keeping. And it's kind of a shame that we didn't get to see him, uh, like, how far he could have gone. Yeah, Blitzkrieg is the reason why I love this podcast because, you know, it's nice to go back and see some old guys be young. It's, so, it's nice to see some historic moments, but nothing gets me more excited than going back and watching a random pay-per-view and seeing a guy you've never heard of because I've never heard of Blitzkrieg before or two weeks ago. And just seeing him dole out a bunch of cool moves and be like, why the hell have I never heard of this guy? 
because this was such a fun match. Him and Hoovy really tore the house down. That, again, that Hoovy driver just looked like death. I, I audibly gasped and jumped out of my seat when I saw him get hit with it. That was so fucking disgusting. It was I, gross. I, I, I yeah, I, I had the same reaction you did. I just like I almost shit myself. <laughs> it looked unbelievable. Yeah. Hoovy had some really good counter drop kicks, like the anti-air drop kick and then a missile drop kick. Really cool. Uh you know, Blitzkrieg just flying all over the ring again. Very like they were just pulling out all the stops and like, and the crowd really re- was receptive to them. Um, I think actually this is probably on the early card, the best crowd buy in for a match. Just yeah, very, very fun. Also, just within the first five minutes that like standing sliced bread flip switch by Blitzkrieg. Like who does that? No right. one does that. Um, but yeah, I, that was like, um, I, I will compare this to kind of the other cruiserweight spot fest that we had on the uh, on the show. That being the cruiserweight title match between Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman, who has two guys that are you know fighting over a title. They get more time than this one does. They are much more established than say Blitzkrieg is. You know, and, you know, Hoovy had been around for a while, but guys that are pushed as being much more important than Hoovy is. Um, and this match gets much more reaction from the crowd than than the Rey Mysterio Hoovy match does, or Rey Mysterio Billy Kidman match does. Partially maybe because like the fans are excited for like you know it's the first match. Hey, we're excited to be watching you know the show. But like this match, while it has fewer like spectacular moves than like like because Ray Kidman has spectacular move after spectacular move executed perfectly throughout that whole match. But this match flows so much better than that match does. Yes. And, like, it gets so much more heat from the crowd. The crowd is so much more invested than they are in the Ray Mysterio match. I would say like that's one thing I noticed throughout the entire car is like I think the match flows are out of whack and i'm not sure if that is has to do with the crowd or just like the way they go from move to move or spot to spot just never really made total sense to anyone oh it doesn't put zero thought into it at all yeah it just feels like we want to hit these spots as great as those two guys are you know i i mean i've talked throughout the other card i think this match and then the tag match are the only two matches that have like a solid flow to them um I guess Goldberg yeah. Nash is fine, but that's also a shorter match and different style. Yeah. But, you know, who, what what they do in that match is very simple and it's fine, but it's it's very simple. Yeah. But this was just, again, Hoovy's always a guy but when he's on the car is going to uh, pop the boys. And then Blitzkrieg being uh, a relative unknown and just jumping literally from the screen and taking probably the biggest bump of the night. You know, shout out to Blitzkrieg. Yeah. Blitzkrieg. Looked fantastic in this match. And yeah, I you know, you, you can look him up. He's just a guy that didn't wrestle very long. Uh, he retired like he was he was like kind of one of the standout guys of like 88 or like 98, 99. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. He retired just a few months after this. I, I, he didn't even last until like 2000, 2001. Um, he literally just, he, he quit wrestling in 1999. Uh, so he, he wrestled six months after this pretty much. And so unfortunately he doesn't have, like his real name that they have is not something super unique because like, you just look up J Ross IT and there's like three different J Rosses that work in IT. I wonder where he's at right now. I wonder what Blitzkrieg is doing these days. 
his Wikipedia page, and this is unreferenced, but he is, says he's working as a nurse in Austin, Texas. Okay. Now, again, that is not that is not sourced, so I don't know if that's true. But Blitzkrieg, wherever you are, I hope you're. Uh, I hope I hope life is treating you well because you fucking rocked. Dude. You are not forgotten. Yes. Anyway, actually, here's uh, here's a stat for you. Apparently, he inspired Jack Evans to become a professional wrestler. Well, yeah, Jack Evans, Jack Evans from the heavens. Yeah, I I, I did read about apparently like like Blitzkrieg like gave him the uh, like the Blitzkrieg gimmick at one point early in his career. Um, but yeah. Jack Evans, cool. Another guy who does cool spots. So, so yeah, really, really fun. You know, fast-paced, lucha, spot-fest type match. Um, now it's time for something completely different. Uh, we got two former ECW champions, Bam Bam Bigelow and Hardcore Hack, which is the really shitty name given to the Sandman during his often-forgotten WCW reign. That's right. That is that is yeah right. Yes, the Sandman wrestled for WCW. No, George. Uh, no, no, David. This is Hack. Hard hardcore Hack, who is accompanied by quote unquote Raven's sister Chastity, who is his valet at this time. She is not actually Raven's sister. Also referred to as the girl by Tony Schiavone. The girl. Yes, she does have a name, but they call him <laughs> call her the girl just over and over again. Um. But yeah, it is it is Hack and Bam Bam, two former ECW World Champions in a hardcore match, um, and we go. I mean, they they really do this up. They they, uh, they they pull out all the stops. They got every single weapon possible, and they do a lot of crazy spots. The Sandman kills himself in this match. It's actually pretty fun. Um, we go straight to brawling. Uh, you know, Bam Bam comes out with a like a big rolling cart that's filled up with weapons and he just runs into Sandman with it on the ramp, like pins him up against the the guardrail with the with the cart and start hitting him with shit. The uh the the most fun spot in the match happens immediately because Spring Stampede, you know, I guess I don't know if they're going for some kind of like Western thing with the Stampede name, uh, but They've got like an old timey wagon train on the stage. Great stage prop, by the way. Fantastic. I mean, really, legitimately great. But they got like an old timey, like Oregon Trail style wagon train on the stage here. And uh, they go over to it. Sandman uh, gets the upper hand on Bam Bam. And he hits Bam Bam with a swanton off of the top of the wagon train through a table, which was fucking badass that was so fucking cool um but yeah and they you know they end up bam bam takes the swanton off the wagon train through the table maybe the most spectacular thing that's going to happen all night um and he's the guy that gets up first and he starts beating up sandman immediately after this uh sandman i'm I'm just going to call him sandman the entire time it is impossible to think of him as anything other than the sandman um even though that wasn't his name technically at this point um Bam, bam. You know, we, we get into the ring, ton of weapons, and you know what's going to happen. They hit each other with a bunch of shit. You got uh, crutches. You got chairs, trash cans. Um, we get a ladder in there, tables. You know, you know, you know the deal, right? The one thing that was so stupid here, though, Tony Schiavone really putting his foot in his mouth. Tony Schiavone, like early on, you know, the, the trash can comment some trash can stuff yeah they're doing some trash can stuff and you know 
we all know why. You know, like they, they use like the really flimsy trash cans that dent super easily. And we all know why that is, right? But Tony Schiavone just comes out and says it. He's like, actually, you know, most of this stuff doesn't actually hurt that much, but it makes a lot of noise. And it's like, Tony, you're killing the fucking business here because that's the point, but you're not supposed to say that, you fucking idiot. You said the quiet part out loud, Tony. You're not (laughs) supposed to say that, asshole. (laughs) I love Tony Schiavone so much, but come the fuck on, brother. It's like, do you remember a few weeks ago or a couple years ago when Coachman was on Raw again for the, like, like Coachman was back on like calling Raw. Yeah, that for those like weird three weeks. Someone was like, someone was like, had someone in a chin lock, just a rest hold, and he said something about like, well, the guy who is in the hold is actually getting the chance to rest right now while he's getting choked, and it's like you're not supposed to fucking say that. We know that's the point, but that you're not supposed to say that, fucking asshole, dumbass. Uh, Dave Meltzer is so offended by Shivani blowing this, this up. That he literally he drops the R bomb in uh, his his newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> it was 1999, but like, damn, he was he was heated over this. Um, so fucking stupid. Like, but yeah, by by three minutes into the match, we've got shit just everywhere. Um, Sandman puts a ladder on top of Bam Bam, hits a swanton onto the ladder into Bam Bam, then hits. Bam Bam with a bulldog onto the ladder. Louisville missing a 24-yard field goal, by the way. That is the equivalent of what uh, Tony Schiavone's Tony Schiavone's commentary right here. Um, yeah, so, yeah, more cool spots. Uh, Bam Bam, like, Sandman looks like he's trying to go, like, off of a ladder again, but then Bam Bam, like, kind of throws him off the ladder and he flies over the top rope through a table. Sandman killing himself in this match, for real. Um, uh, Sandman tries to leg drop Bam Bam through a guardrail, misses, ends up just crotching himself on it. Um, then Bam Bam picks him up, hits him with the guardrail. Coming to the finish of the match here, because Chastity gets in the ring, uh, as Tony Schiavone call, uh, put it, the girl. The girl. Uh, the girl gets in the ring with a fire extinguisher, but Bam Bam rests it away from her, blasts her with the fire extinguisher. That allows Sandman to come up behind him with his signature kendo stick. He hits him with it, hits him with the white Russian leg sweep with the kendo stick. Um, But then they end up going up to the top rope and another fucking amazing looking finish here. Bam Bam hitting him with the greetings from Asbury Park off of the top rope through a table and onto the fire extinguisher that apparently, I guess, had rolled underneath the table. That was kind of dangerous, but I don't think anybody actually got hurt with that. When I saw the fire extinguisher there afterwards, I was like, oh, shit. Um, yeah, he hits him with the greetings from Asbury Park through the table. Um, and Bam Bam gets the pin. And Bam Bam Bigelow wins this uh, very fun ECW-style hardcore brawl. 11 minutes and 33 seconds. Crowd was into this one the whole way through. Uh, that makes one of us because it was not for me. I thought, like, I loved the wagon spot, but I feel like that's something that probably should have happened closer to the end rather than the beginning. Cause that's like one of the, that's the best spot for like 95% of this entire match. Cause the next, the first 5% were really good. The next 90% was just mid, like I sloppy brawling. And I the last 5% fun. with the Green Raspberry Park was really good. I had fun. You know, it's a lot of it's, you know, it's it's what you expect, right? You get a Sandman match. It's a Sandman match. It is a Sandman match. You're going to it's going to happen. 
you know, you're going to see all the stuff that you're going to see. It was. There's not much downtime. There's more, I I think, maybe like, because we've seen some of these Sandman matches. I I think of that one Sandman Sabu match that we watched. the last shit. Where it's just like, so like they get too much time. And so they just meander around and do the same fucking weapon spots over and over again. You know, they get like, you know, 10 ish minutes here. You know, like, hey, you got 10 to 12. You got to keep it fucking tight. We're on pay-per-view here. Uh, And that focuses shit up a little more. And, you know, I was invested. I was I was invested and I was engaged the whole way through. And there's some there's some fun stuff. And Sandman fucking kills himself. I I was laughing when uh, Bam Bam brought out the broom and I was like the cleaner Bam Bam Bigelow. (laughs) Yes. Kenny Omega (laughs) stealing Bam Bam's gimmick. But I think the worst part about this match and maybe the reason why I kind of this was tune out time for me was commentary. I actually like. Yes. Throughout the entire card, honestly, I, I was not a fan of this booth today, and yeah. which is a shame because I like Tony, I like the brain, I like Tanae, but it feels like they were in the era of our shit don't stink and why do I need to bother giving my all if you know we're this great company. It kind of, They did really kind of project that vibe throughout the entire show, and this match was one of the times where it really did uh, come through, especially with Tony kind of. Yes. making those dumbass comments and also referring to the girl as the girl. It's like way to show that you don't really give a shit about the talent on screen. Tony and Heenan, especially the later you go on in WCW, the less they give a shit and like the less they really try. And I think that at a certain point it was just like the, uh, just the whole WCW ness of everything just kind of killed their love for wrestling. So they just hated their lives. And I think this is a point where it's like starting to happen, like like for real, um, and it's noticeable. And I mean, you know, today today's today does a good job. Today's always today was always a professional, always knowledgeable, always engaged. Shout out to Mike today. More people need to be like Mike today. But I I will agree with you. Uh, you start to see it on this show. Like compare compare like like. Tony and Heenan to what they were just a few years before. And it's really night and day. It's it, it's real. It's noticeable, too, because like these are two guys like you listen to Tony now and it's, you know, it, it, it's day and night. Yeah. I mean, Tony, Tony talks about all the time or he's talked about many times like AEW completely like revigorated his love for wrestling that had like basically just totally died by like like his last few years in WCW, like killed all of his like like desire to be involved in wrestling and AEW like resurrected that for him, which is honestly out of all of the things that AEW has done, um, you know, both good and bad. I'm not going to say that they're a hundred percent on everything. You know, they, they deserve some, some criticism for a lot of stuff, but uh, bringing us back. Tony Schiavone is one of the, one of the greatest things that they ever could have done. So bringing back Taz is also another one. Yes. Tony Schiavone, bringing us back Taz, bringing them back. God, yeah, love it, man. Um, like real service to the United States of America there. Um, so next up, man. Okay. Hot as fuck. Like cruiserweight match to start off. Big moves. Crowd invested. Crazy brawl match too. No matter what you feel about this, I liked it. Andrew didn't. But the crowd was into it. I mean, you have to, you have to acknowledge good heat from the crowd. They seem to be into this one, right? 
So into this uh, next one, man, boy, oh boy, do Scotty Riggs and Mikey Whipwreck have a task in front of them because they got to follow that shit up in an unannounced match, apparently, um, between two like low card guys, Scotty Riggs, who had been, you know, in the American Males tag team, was the Genetti of the American Males tag team <laughs> and then was like what was like the fifth most important guy in the Ravens flock um, is now doing basically like a ravishing Rick rude gimmick, but like it's, not, a, great, it's a great gimmick by the way, but Good gimmick doesn't have, doesn't have nearly the abs that Rick rude does uh, and nor the wrestling talent or charisma. He walked and, out there looking like a cheap fusion of HBK and triple H. And uh, you know, so you got that. No one really cares about Scotty Riggs, unfortunately. And then speaking of ECW favorites who are randomly in WCW for about six months, plucky jobber favorite Mikey Whipwreck, um, who is going to work his ass off to try and make something of this match. And he takes some good bumps in it. But man, the crowd just so does not give a shit about this. Scotty Riggs comes out with um, looking into a mirror that on the back says better looking each day in all caps drawn onto it. Um, and he, yeah, he's, he's in the ring. He's doing the Rick rude hip swivel, but he does not have the same hip mobility that Rick rude does. He's a little stiff, a little stiff. Um, Mikey, who was a, a guy that was like, I, I, I always love the Mikey Whipwreck story because he was like not trained at all to be a wrestler, but like was like a decent athlete and, was like willing to take the shit out of a bump and uh, just got over because he was just some dickhead fucking around like every other ECW fan was. Yeah, he looked like a fan. <laughs> yeah, and he, it's, that's literally because he was and just had this kind of, you know, just this underdog babyface energy that is kind of lost in WCW because he's kind of just taken away from the environment that made him um, and that he fit into. Um, he shines up on it. You know, Mikey could do some fun stuff. Um, he gets a guillotine leg drop on the apron. He does a nice-looking slingshot Rana out of the ring to the floor over the top rope. That looked really good. Goes for another slingshot leg drop on the apron, but misses. And then Scotty Riggs knocks him off the apron. He flies into the guardrail. Mikey took that guardrail bump real, real sharp. Um, it was a really good-looking bump. Um, yeah, Mikey works here, but he just, you know, they, they can't make much out of it. Because Scotty Riggs... Scotty Riggs does like jack shit in this match. Um, but he gets heat for a while. Very slow heat. Um, he has... There's one point where he has him in a cross face for a little bit while the crowd is loudly chanting boring. And I look out into the crowd and you can see people just... You can see people just yawning at rings... Like literally yawning at ringside watching this. Uh, Mikey comes back. Gets a little. He gets a little uh, comeback. It's a missile drop kick. Side Russian leg sweep. Hits another Hurricane Rana. Uh, goes for the pin. Scotty gets his foot on the rope. And Mikey whips him off. Scotty ducks two, gets a running start, and hits a flying forearm. And Scotty Riggs gets the pin. Seven minutes and three seconds in one of the most forgettable matches in WCW pay-per-view history. Talk talk about uh, changing times. A flying forearm as a finisher. I mean, that's not even like a one count today. Lex Luger did it. But <laughs> Lex Luger... Had uh, the flying forearm was a finisher for Lex Luger because he had the steel plate in his forearm and he was knocking people out with it. Which which yeah. makes the, and that's total sense. That's so believable. Not just Scotty Riggs throwing a forearm. And it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, 
it's like the fucking like uh, like the John Moxley forearm where it looks like he actually like pushes you over with his other hand and he just kind of throws his forearm up there and it looks super weak. Mm-hmm. Um, like Athena has been using just a regular forearm as her finisher, but that's because it looks great and she hits the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's actually knocking you out. It works when she does it, but it's like Scotty Ray's kind of just gently pushing you over with his forearm. That's a finish. It's like, oh, yeah. I can see why it didn't really work here. Yeah, it's, it's it's why the Big Show punch always worked for me because it always looked good. Like, I get it's a boring finisher, but it looked good and it made sense because he's a big-ass man with big-ass hands. Yeah. I, uh, I would say that the Big Show punch for me looked good sometimes. Sometimes it looked like shit. Okay, fair. But it's like... Again, yeah, it's the big show. Like, if can you imagine that guy punching you in the face? <laughs> I mean, of course that's a finish, right? You know? Yeah, so tough. It's very tough match. Tough tough spot to be in unannounced. Now, do they say why this match kind of like got booked put onto the card ad hoc or what? No. No, not at all. No story. Nope. That just happens. Scotty Riggs has some pull backstage like you got to put me out there, man. Yeah, I mean, I think like Scotty Riggs had been there for a bit and, you know, he had been in the American Males that didn't really get over. He had been in Raven's Flock, but he was just a guy there. And I think that they were going to try and do something like before we get rid of him, we're going to try and do something with him. And then, yeah, no, that people didn't care. Hey, man, there's always a spot in wrestling for lackeys. I mean, look at the kingdom. I love the kingdom. They're just oh complete- my God, they're the best lackeys in America right now. The <laughs> best, the best lackey work in America right now is being done by Matt Taven and Mike Bennett, baby. And I love them for it, and would be very, very much here for a tag team run at some point, tag team title run. But like, they're very much in their element as lackeys. Just amazing. They were born for this. They are doing. Doing legitimately tremendous work. And hey, I mean, I, I, you know, don't mean to denigrate anyone by using the term lackey. Uh, that the, there is a, a long and storied history and tradition of, of lackeys and pro wrestling. And that work is important. I mean, look at like, I mean, what would we talk about with Rod, Rod, Roddy Strong all the time? He's just like a guy who, he's a great pro wrestler, but just doesn't really have much charisma. And look at what the kingdom has done. Just with next strong, it's incredible work. It's truly like I have such an appreciation now for the kingdom more so than before the next strong story. Doing amazing, yeah. Roddy Roddy Strong is the funniest motherfucker. I, I, I never <laughs> thought I would say that the funniest wrestler in the world right now is Roddy Strong, the guy who is like the criticism of him has always been he's the most boring motherfucker alive. <laughs> a, a, amazing pro wrestler, right? I mean, as good from bell to bell as anybody on earth and has been the case for years but like just a like a white bread guy and now it's like oh yeah no i i will kill myself if roddy strong is on my is not on my screen right now Adam! uh literally like like was it like last week he like fucking like uh I, I i'm sure he did it again this week but i haven't seen the show yet um just him standing up from the fucking wheelchair Getting a huge pop from the crowd. Amazing. It's, it's my favorite thing that he wrestles a match, goes through the entire match. Occasionally will sell the neck throughout the match, but mostly wrestles a straight up and down match. And then immediately after he goes to the wheelchair. It's the yeah. funniest shit. Gets out of the wheelchair, takes the neck brace off, wrestles the match, looks fucking amazing. And then after the second the match is over, neck brace back on into the wheelchair. 
This stuff's so fucking funny, dude. It's so cool. Uh, amazing. Yeah, I, I I wish Roddy was in this match, but it was fucking boring. Yeah. Um, we got more kind of just boring, forgettable shit. But this actually appears to have a story. Conan and Disco Inferno, I believe, are feuding over who has a better music video. I think that's it. Really riveting stuff here. Um, Conan uh, starts this match wearing a Chicago White Sox beanie, even though we're not from Chicago and Conan is not from Chicago. Amazing uh, football jersey, though. Like, get me that merch. Yes. Like that FUBU football jersey. It's 1999, folks. Kevin Nash was also rocking FUBU quite often around this time as well. They're they're real, real style trailblazers. Um, but yeah, uh, Disco apparently was a member of the NWO Wolfpack at this point, which I don't want to be a part of any any faction that's going to have Disco as a member. Why would you? Who is NWO Wolfpack? Why are you recruiting Disco Inferno? Was it Conan or Big Show that said the only reason why the boys kept you around is because they would make you the butt of every joke? I can't remember who that was. I remember Cody totally destroyed Disco on Twitter once, too. I think it was Cody. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. There's there's been a lot of blistering takedowns. This match between Conan and Disco, two guys that have podcasts and are insufferable on the internet uh, today in 2023. Um, but yeah, this match is aggressively fine, I guess. Mid? Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's better than the Scotty Riggs match. I'll say that uh, by, by a pretty good, by a pretty good bit. Um, Conan uh, talks shit about Disco's outfit at the start of the match. And Disco comes out wearing, Shiny silver, like cowboy hat, shiny silver, sh- like loose flowing shirt, and then blue camo pants. Um, Conan makes fun of him, calls him a scrub, and that ca- uh, prompts Disco to defend his own honor by uh, jumping Conan. Uh, Conan does turn him around, um, gets uh, his shine up early, hits a really nice looking Escalera into a uh, like a Lita drag. That was pretty nice. Conan, a you know, big guy, very well built, but a good athlete. Um, and in his time, you know, pretty good technically. Uh, but Disco cuts him off with a big running back elbow out of the corner, hits a neck breaker, and spends a lot of this match getting heat. Um, yeah, you know, just gets heat, gets heat, gets heat. Um, you know, Conan gets a couple brief spots. There's a spot where they knock, he knocks Conan, uh, Conan knocks Disco to the floor. Conan throws him into the go, uh, throws him into the ring post, throws him into the guardrail. But then, uh, as he tries to get back in the ring, Disco stands right up and just cuts him off as he tries to get back in the ring. Um, Conan gets his comeback after Disco misses a diving elbow drop, hits a, a front roll into a clothesline, hits his cool-looking 187 cradle DDT, but uh, Disco kicks out. Disco gets uh, a near fall uh, with a swinging neck breaker. Goes for his finisher, the last dance, which was a Stone Cold Stunner. Uh, But then Conan is able to reverse it and then hit one of his own and gives, serves upon Disco one of the greatest indignities a wrestler can, can, can absorb. Getting pinned with your own finisher. Conan pins Disco with the last dance, Stone Cold Stunner. And Conan gets the win in nine minutes and 17 seconds it's arguable that conan hits it better than disco does it's not arguable to me 
but Conan was a better pro wrestler than Disco. And I mean, like, Disco was kind of like, uh, you know, he was a humorous comedy guy, like humorous lower mid card comedy guy that, you know, was, people liked, but uh, just not a great wrestler. You know, I don't, I don't think you could name like a good, I, I feel like I could go back and find some like good Conan matches because Conan at his best actually could go a little bit, had some stuff that he could do in the ring. Mid 90s Conan is something else. Yeah, like 95, 96 Conan could actually go, you know. Here at this point, he's starting to get a little run down, but mm-hmm. um, he had a lot of injuries that really fucked him up. But. Yeah, the past two Conan matches we've had on the show, it just it feels like he's kind of going at half speed. And, you know, one was with Bill DeMott. This one's with Disco. It, he, it, he seems to always be in a feud with what some shitty guy from the late 90s. Yeah. But I'll say this for the match. Like, it was not a good match. However, the feud felt like something, even if the feud was dumb, right? Like it. At least, th- at least the feud... Like, at least they had a thing that they were mad at each other about. You know like, there's I mean? something about this match that made it feel like a pay-per-view match, or at least okay to have a like have a spot on the pay-per-view. It wasn't, like, a great match. It wasn't like, you know, Conan Disco has to be a pay-per-view match, but, like, the story of it all kind of, like, made it feel worthwhile. All, I will say this, too. They're not helped out here at all. The audio production for this spot, is like, for these next 15 minutes is terrible. Like, they can't balance the Conan's entry, entrance music with the announcer, with the commentary team. It's just all bad. Uh, that's, uh, Disco is a guy that I enjoy seeing him get, get his ass beat, which, you know, you need guys like that in wrestling. Uh, but the finish like itself... Get his ass beat in real life, personally. That, too. Uh, but the finish itself feels like they're moving at half speed a little bit until like the what's it called the last dance. It's just like eh. Last dance. It, it was it, it was a match. It happened. It was boring. A lot of disco in control. Too much disco in control. But hey, it's here. Yeah, it's whatever. You know, hey, I've seen worse matches in my life, and uh, we'll see many more. For someone that I, I don't like as a person, Disco, and I don't know anyone who does like him as a person, um, seeing him, again, as I said, the greatest indignity a wrestler can suffer is getting pinned with his own finish. And seeing that happen to him, I thought that was funny. Yeah, I, I liked that. Very funny. We are moving right fucking along here. The one thing about this match, or the show, the pacing is great. I mean, they move through this shit. There's no, you know, downtime. There's no stupid bullshit. You know, there's no like, like last fucking like last show we had like the stupid, uh, the 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 public enemy meandering twenty minute promo that no one cared about. There's none of that stuff. No, we go from match to match to match to match, and we're moving. Right? Although there is that one moment. I'm not sure if it's here or after this match. Where they talk to Rey Mysterio for the internet hotline and the crowd just erupts in booze. Yeah. Well, also, I I, I had that written down. It's when when is this? Uh, I was going to mention at the time. It's between the Scott Steiner Booker T match and the Kevin Nash Goldberg match. I have like Rey's with the internet nerds and they need to turn his fucking mic up because he's talking and you cannot hear what he's fucking saying. They got his his levels are way too low on that one. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's like the only like part of the show that's not like a match really. Like we don't really get any promos here, do we? I mean, we have Conan's on the mic for five seconds at the beginning of his match. Kevin Nash is on the mic for five seconds at the beginning of his match. Scott Steiner is lollygagging around the ring. 
Yeah, but that's technically like in the match. Like they had rung the bell by that point, I think. Or no, like he, he all goes around and then he they ring the bell and he like locks up with Booker and they do one or two things and then he goes back out to yell at the crowd some more. That's what it is. But like the pacing of no, they're fucking motoring along here. Um, so we are already we're like less than an hour in and we are already at match five. Um, and it is another cruiserweight match, but this one is for the cruiserweight title. It is the champion and unmasked Rey Mysterio Jr. So fucking cursed when you watch him the last few years at WCW when he's see just Rey's baby face out there. A literal baby face, Rey Mysterio Jr. Uh, defending against Billy Kidman. And, you know, Rey is not, not only is Rey defending the title against Billy Kidman, but. These two are the current WCW tag team champions. So they are they are champions as tag partners and are now going up against one another as uh for the cruiserweight championship, but it's played pretty straight up. They're not doing any like, oh man, these can these can their can their partnership survive uh you know, one guy challenging for the other. There's none of that. It's just you know, it comes off like, hey, you know, we're, we're going to fight each other for the title, but we're also tag champions. They don't really play into any, like, potential drama. We're the two best guys in the division. We're also tag champs. We don't need, like, this is just natural. Yeah. It's just they kind of go out there and just have a wrestling match, which um, I don't know if that's that's good or bad, but it's fine. Um, this match is, I'm, I'm going to, like, it's it's tough to really talk about like the story of this match, right? Because there kind of isn't one. Spots, 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 spots. I'm gonna read like a list of cool spots that, uh, because they do a ton of amazing looking moves. Um, really, I mean these guys are unbelievable athletes. Um, and they can do so many cool moves. But there's like no story to the match at all. There's like no connective tissue in between any of the moves. There's no selling whatsoever. They just do a bunch of moves for 15 minutes. So I'm going to just read off a bunch of cool moves. Um, there was uh, early on in this match a pretty scary spot when um, so they we've already done like this guy has already done like, oh, cool. Slingshot head scissors to the floor. Springboard. Yada, yada. Cool dive. Uh, they do a spot where Ray does a, a moonsault off the apron. Kidman catches him very nice on his shoulder. Ray slips out, pushes Kidman off into the guardrail. Ray tries to do a slingshot head scissors over the guardrail back in towards ringside. And he does the move, and it looks nice, except for the fact that he bonks his fucking head on the ring steps very loudly and very visibly bangs his head. And he, you can tell, like... It hurt. He could tell that that fucking hurt him. You know, he's, like, laying there, and you can see him, like, get kind of pissed off, and he kicks the ring steps a couple times in frustration. Um, Very funny human moment. I know. It was like, ooh, shit, man. Because he, I mean, he bonked his fucking head on that. I'm surprised he didn't get busted open. I'm, I'm surprised, too. But that doesn't then stop him from immediately coming back and hitting, like, a springboard seated senton into the ring. And then uh, just uh, like a lion salt absolutely perfectly, um, even though like it does kind of look like for like the first couple, like next couple minutes, he's like a little wobbly, but he still hits all his moves perfectly. You know, um, it's it's, you know, Ray, Ray, an amazing talent. 
But yeah, shit. What what cool moves did they do? Uh, Ray goes for an Escalera. Kidman catches him with a running power bomb. That was really cool. Um, we've got uh, what else? What else? What else? So the Shooting power star bomb press from cool. the apron. Yeah, I was gonna say Kidman did the backbreaker Uranagi combo. Hits a sky high. That was really cool. Rey Mysterio, all the way back in 1999, still doing that slide under the bottom rope, splat onto the floor bump that he still does today. And then, yeah, you said that. Kidman running shooting star off the apron. Oh, what else? What else? Ray, springboard somersault, sent on onto the floor, and then goes up top, tries to do a move into the ring, and then Kidman clotheslines him out of midair. Ray, pop-up Rana. Ray, pop-up X-Factor. That looked really good. Uh, Kidman hits a pedigree, then, uh, hits a sunset flip power bomb. Then Ray goes up, hits like a crazy, like Cazadora into a bulldog off the top rope, which amazing balance by Billy Kidman basing for that on the ropes. That was awesome from him. Um, Kidman springboard bulldog, Ray guillotine leg drop, standing moonsault. And then into the finish of the match, uh, Kidman goes for, Ray goes for power bomb on Kidman. Then Kidman Say that sentence one more time. Mysterio <laughs> going for a powerbomb on somebody. But Kidman, hey, you can't powerbomb Billy Kidman. You can never do it because he's always going to flip up out of it and hit a face buster on you. That is one of the cardinal rules of pro wrestling. You don't try to powerbomb Billy Kidman. But Ray was not paying attention to our podcast back then. Um, so he reverses a powerbomb. He goes up to the top rope. Ray crouches him. And after uh, 500 insane moves, it's actually a relatively tame top rope Frankensteiner that gets the pin from Rey Mysterio. He retains the title 15 minutes, 32 seconds. Again, amazing moves. Uh, all executed tremendously well. But just no heat from the crowd, really. Because there's just there's no selling. There's no real story. There's nothing in between, really, any of these moves. If you love moves, and I am somebody that is known to love a good move from time to time. It's fun, and I, I, I enjoyed watching these guys do cool athletic shit, but there's just not real substance. You know? A fantastic video game match. Yes, it's a great video game. That's, I think that's a good way to put it. It's a great video game match. Which, yeah, my brain melted because this was reality, not a video game. And they're, they're out here doing this perfectly. Uh, very fun. Young yeah. Ray's rope. I mean, you went through all the spots, but Young Ray's rope balance is just... Guys who can do that shit blow my mind. It's like why Vikingo, Commander, Ray Phoenix, like all three of those guys, whenever they're on my TV screen, I'm like, I'm going to have such a good time because these are guys that just run the rope, take the definition of running ropes literally because they just run on the rope. Yeah. Commander <laughs> especially is like the god of ropes. It's I, the stuff. His, his balance is just uh, inhuman. It, it's I mean, not both, both of these guys. Ray, definitely. But both of these guys. I, I mean, again, I, I mentioned it. Kidman based on the ropes. The thing that popped me the biggest in this match was Kidman basing for the Cazadora Bulldog off of the top rope. Like, the balance required to do that is unbelievable. The core strength. I know, even, like, and Ray, I mean, even though that Ray's not a, a heavy guy at all, he's, he's, I'm sure, not a tough guy to base for. But, I mean, that's still unbelievably impressive to me. Uh, that he was able to do that so so like like without like 
without putting a foot an inch wrong. I mean, really amazing stuff for me, at least. What was really funny was seeing how the crowd just stood up when Kidman was going to the top row because they're like, ooh, shooting star press, shooting star press, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, they never – yeah, he – that is the one thing that the crowd does get up for, which I thought was was interesting. Um, the Because they see all these amazing moves, and they do see Kidman hit a shooting star press in this match just off of the apron uh, to the floor. Uh, but yeah, the one thing that gets the crowd up, because this match doesn't have a lot of heat from the crowd, but they do get excited for – Kidman standing up on the top rope because they they love the fucking uh, the shooting star press. It's such an over move, you know, it's never not been over. Yeah. But like, I mean, now people do shooting star presses all the time. But like at this time, this was, you know, the the shooting star press. That was Kidman's move, you know, and he wasn't the guy that invented it or anything. uh, Jushin Liger was the guy who invented the shooting star press. But this it was just so his move. He was like the guy doing this. Although I'm pretty sure I've seen Mark Miro do that on uh, TV before Kidman did it, but Kidman's had the uh, the had the additional um, the additional boost of like sometimes you weren't sure if he was gonna die doing it. You know what I mean? So that was the additional excitement of Kidman doing the shooting star press. Fun spot fest, but yeah, there's just kind of no meat on the bone here. Uh, but if you like moves, and Lord knows I do. Yeah, you could do worse. You could do worse. Speaking of matches that do have some connective tissue. This match is really fucking good. I, I there, there are some parts of this match that had me losing my mind. Next up, big tag match. It is some faction warfare we've got going on. It is the Four Horsemen versus Raven's Flock feud. Um, a tag match that was supposed to be for the tag titles, according to the announced team, until... Ray and Billy Kidman upset the apple cart and uh, took the titles from themselves. But we still have this match representing the four horsemen, two of the best technical wrestlers on earth, Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit, accompanied to the ring by OG horseman Arn Anderson, taking on Raven and Perry Saturn. And Raven is one of the most over, if not the most over guy on this entire show. Up there, I mean, like, up there with like like Goldberg and all the guys in the main event. Crowd- Middle school Angelo's Ravens markedness is shining through very hard at the start of this match. The crowd is going crazy for Raven. And I I, I I don't know if it's just as simple as Washington is the home of grunge and he was the grunge guy. That might have been it. But the crowd loves Raven. Um, Raven and Saturn start fast. Perry Saturn, by the way, Perry Saturn, spooky green contacts. Very good, good, very good eyewear there. He's got the lizard eyes going on. Raven and Saturn do a bunch of really cool, um, uh, like, double team spots. They do like a lariat chop block combo spot, which is a a spot that me and Troy Locke do um, on Benoit, which is fucking cool as shit. I do a spin with it. It's really nice. Um... (laughs) And then they do a really fucking cool. I love this Gord Buster diving splash combo they did right at the beginning of the match on Benoit. I thought that looked awesome because the timing of it, they do it. The timing is super tight. Like, like Saturn is like already flying through the air by the time Raven hits the Gord Buster and he comes down. It's like, boom, boom. The timing's awesome. Uh, so I popped huge for that. I thought that looked amazing. Uh, Malenko breaks up the pin. They cheap shot Raven 
Um, and then you have Arn Anderson getting involved on the outside. And they get Heon Raven for a while. They do a bunch of double team spots with Charles Robinson, the referee, distracted. Uh, by the way, Tony Tony Schiavone casting some aspersions there on uh, Charles Robinson because, of course, he was Ric Flair's guy. He's a little nature. Maybe he's uh, going to favor the four horsemen here. But he does kind of play it straight up. Um, Saturn gets a tag. Huge pop for Perry Saturn going over and decking Arn. Every time someone punched Arn in this match, the crowd went wild for it. Um, Arn's got heat in Washington. Arn was getting heat in this match, man. Um, They do some more cool stuff. Him and Raven hit like a doomsday device on Dean Malenko. Um, Perry Saturn gets Dean up for the Death Valley driver, but Benoit kicks him low. Combo uh, German suplex. So this, this sequence made me lose my shit. So Benoit kicks him in the nuts. They do a combo German suplex drop kick. Fantastic. Benoit and Raven spill to the floor. Um, Dean hits Saturn with a power bomb, steps over into the Texas Cloverleaf. Um, but then Saturn gets to the rope, escapes. He hits Malenko with the Death Valley driver, goes for the pin. Then Benoit um, reappears in the ring at the last second. And breaks up the pin with a diving headbutt. This like is just so boom, 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 boom. Uh that I was I was like losing my shit at this whole sequence. It was fucking awesome. Um and then we end up settling things back down again. Uh they get heat on Perry Saturn for a bit. Eventually we get the big hot tag to Raven. Uh we got a couple of weapon spots here that don't don't get any DQ from the from the uh from the referee, but I'm not complaining about it, especially compared to what happens in the next match. Hit. Um, Arn Anderson throws a chair into the ring. Raven drop toe holds Benoit onto the chair. Um, then we have a table set up on the outside. Malenko is put onto the table. Perry Saturn tries to go for a big diving splash to the floor through the table, but Arn is able to pull Dean Malenko off of the table in the nick of time. Perry Saturn crashes through the table. Back in the ring, uh, Dean smashes the chair into Raven, but Raven comes back with the even flow DDT. He has his finish. He has Dean pinned, but Arn keeps the ref from counting, and then he's able to set up Benoit while he's still distracting the referee. He sets up Benoit to hit the diving headbutt into the chair, which is placed on top of Raven's head. And then Malenko rolls over, gets the pin after the diving headbutt with the chair. And the four horsemen win the match in 14 minutes and 11 seconds. I really, really enjoyed this match. I I, I thought it was... It's, it's like you said, a, a lot of matches, you know, here don't have a good structure. I thought this match had a very good structure and had like good execution, cool moves. I was like the the crowd was into this match because they were really into Raven. They were really against, you know, the the four horsemen. This match is as hot as anything as you're going to find on the show. Really, really fun. I think that's what shines through the most in this match is the fact that there is like a normal structure that we all recognize as a wrestling match. It starts off, you know, it's a very hot match from start to finish. But, like, there is, like, hey, it starts here, and then it kind of, like, lulls back down. And then there's another high spot, and then it kind of goes back down. And then the finish is just fantastic. Like you said, like, that finish was so good. Like, starting with that drop kick, uh, 
German's combo. Uh, just very good flowing wrestling between four guys who are just so naturally gifted in terms of like being able to do any type of style. And Raven may be the guy that we don't think of like as a technical wrestler, but someone that doesn't ever look out of place when he's in, with yeah. these four guys. A guy that uh, you again, yeah, as you said, as a just as a worker, you wouldn't put Raven on the level of Benoit or Malenko or Saturn but is never a guy that looked out of his depth when he was in there with them. No. And, and like provides that necessary, like I think charisma jolt that I think these three guys, the three other guys just don't have with that crowd connection. But like it rubs off on Saturn. It is weird here. They do mention at the beginning of the match that Saturn had liberated the flock, but here he is a few months later tagging with Raven, which is kind of weird, but yeah. But hey, this was a very fun match. I, I I popped a little bit for Saturn doing the veto special, where he puts yeah, Benoit yeah. underneath the kilt. Yeah, he does. He does. <laughs> this weird like leather like leather skirt type whatever kilt thing that he's got going on. I don't really know what it is. It's something you'd see at a metal concert. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, he does do that. I also thought Charles Robinson here did a great job of playing like a referee in a haptic match without like coming off as incompetent yeah i i agree uh but you know, that, there's a little too much going on though there's too much going on for him he can't quite he can't quite settle all these guys down but by god he's trying to be everywhere at once and he really does do a great job of that even with shivani and heenan slandering his name saying oh you know he's little nature of course he's gonna be he's gonna be on the side of the on the before horsemen arms right there no 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 He's not he's not he's not little horseman. He's little Nate. Little Nate. He has the hair. That's why he has the hair. And to, by the way, Tony, another fantastic line from him. You've seen these teams try and win the match. What else would they try and do, Tony? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else are they supposed why, to do? That's why they're here, Tony. Uh, but I, 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 I love the finish here. I love Ravens drop to hold into the chair. I think we've established before that if the. You can essentially make someone fall. You can hit not if they're going to hit the item, but if you're making them fall into the item, it's not a DQ. If you're hitting them with the item, it is. But if they're falling into it, well, what are you going to do? It's gravity. I think it's less that and more like, hey, you know, your guy was the one who brought the chair into the ring. Uh, that too. No, that's like, hey, you know, uh, you you kind of deserve it. I, you know, at, at the end of the day, you played yourself on this one. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not like Steiner in the next match. It's uh, not like Steiner in the next match where they're just playing like, I don't know. They're like like playing like, oh, yeah, the referee is just afraid to DQ Scott Steiner because he knows if he does that, Scott Steiner will kill him. Yeah. Which I don't know, maybe. Makes but, sense. Um, but yeah, Scott Steiner is just doing insanely illegal shit right in front of him and the referee does, doesn't do anything. It, it is also a, while not great for the cerebral, but... A beautiful diving headbutt onto the chair to end this match. Just picture perfect. Benoit. Benoit Chef's hits, kiss. Benoit hits two fantastic diving headbutts because the one that he hits the uh, on on Saturn earlier um, to break up the pin at the end of the uh, the end of like Saturn's hot tag or whatever, um, or like his that 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 whole sequence uh, was also perfect. Uh, also perfect saturn's death valley driver never yes. has been bad yep yep one of the best death valley drivers of all time um perry saturn a man with a bunch of really cool moves and they always looked amazing every single time he did them i just 
I get so much joy out of watching Perry Saturn wrestle because he was so fucking cool. And again, in my opinion, maybe the, at least like for my taste, one of the best move sets of all time. I just, I get so much joy out of watching Perry Saturn wrestle. Next up, boy, oh boy, wouldn't you know it? It's WCW pay-per-view and Scott Steiner's wrestling Booker T. Holy shit. But we we have reached Papa Pump levels of Scott Steiner. Yes. It's not like last time we had this on when we had the Steiners and Harlem Heat. Um, we've got, this is like, we're, 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 we're at that point, like late Steiner brothers where it's like, you got a leather daddy, Rick and Scott is Papa pumping himself, but he's not all the way there yet. He hasn't fully fledged into that gimmick yet. No, man, he is, he is totally fully realized as big Papa fucking pump. And boy, is he pumped as fuck. He he's is, got his peaks. He's got his peaks. He's got his freaks. He is going crazy. Um, Steiner and Booker T are wrestling because the United States title had been stripped from the champion Scott Hall by, uh, WCW president, Ric Flair. Scott Hall had suffered a uh, serious foot injury that would keep him out until the summer. So he had to drop the title and we had a tournament set up in which Scott Steiner and Booker T are in the finals. Booker T trying to become a champ champ because he comes in as the television champion. Scott Steiner spends like a full five minutes walking around the ring, yelling at the fans. And then the bell rings and they like lock up and they do a little bit. And then he rolls right out of the ring and he walks around and yells at the fans some more. Um, he is just totally big, bad booty daddying everywhere all over the place. I loved it. It was so good. He is fully in that shit. And so, yeah, Booker gets, uh, you know, good uh good shine early um sends him to the floor diving clothesline off the apron throws him around ringside lights him up with a couple big lariats in the corner goes up to try and do the 10 punches in the corner and then scott hoists him up and crotches him on the top rope and scott takes over scott steiner cheats blatantly right in front of the referee with no disqualification hits him with a chair right in front of the referee just straight up picks up a chair and hits him in the head with it then kicks him directly in the dick and balls right in front of the referee just to get like fucking boom right in the cock. Uh, referee is looking right at it and does nothing. Um, and he gets uh, gets heat for a while. Um, he puts him in a bear hug and drops him into kind of a spookily high angle belly to belly right at the end of that. But then um, Booker T reverses the Skyner screwdriver into a DDT gets his comeback. Bumps him around everywhere, is starting to move in for the kill, but then Steiner pulls the ref into the way. We get a ref bump. Uh, Booker T hits the scissor kick, flapjack, spinneroonies up to his feet. Harlem sidekick has the re- has Steiner pinned, but the referee is down. Um, he gets the referee up to his feet, but then Steiner fucking knocks the ref out again. Um, so now we've got more of this, you know, another ref bump. Booker catches Scott into a big spine buster, goes up to the top rope. Scott crotches him, hits the Frankensteiner, grabs the ref, grabs the ref wrist and is like forcing the ref to count. Incredible. Uh, Utterly incredible. Booker still kicks out. Um, I did like Scott is moving the referee's hand for him, (laughs) but still respects the kick out. Like when Booker kicks out, he stops. (laughs) He's like, oh shit, he kicked out. I had to stop counting. <laughs> um, I thought that was really funny. 
Scott then takes a foreign object, which you don't see what it is, out of his tights. Um, Booker gets him up for a vertical suplex, and while Scott is upside down, he reaches over and hits him in the face with the uh, with the uh, with the foreign object, um, and then drags the referee in. And then the referee counts the pin. Scott Steiner, new U.S. champ, 15 minutes and 57 seconds. A little bit of an anticlimactic finish, although in terms of like like working the uh, the 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 foreign object spot, he did it in kind of a cool way, where he does it where he's literally upside down posting for the suplex, and then he reaches over and bops him. <laughs> that looked kind of like visually him doing it while he was upside down in midair looked kind of cool. So, yeah. You know, it's okay. If this were wrestler A versus wrestler B, I probably don't enjoy this match as much, but it's freaking Booker T and Scott Steiner and all the antics that Scott does, I am here for. It is just... You get get good Papa Pump antics from Scott. And yeah, Booker's... Booker is Booker. He's charismatic and we like him. It's it's easy to get behind him. It is. And like, it's just everything hits perfectly other than like the early chair spots that Papa Pump uses, which feels weird but then you kind of lay out the whole story of like oh yeah the refs are just genuinely terrified of this man and will not DQ him and you know we've seen matches before especially title matches uh where the ref's not going to set, set a DQ because they want a decisive victory um and we see like New Japan is usually like one that I always think of that doesn't really call a DQ in these types of matches um so it's not like it's unprecedented but because it's the pop a pump character it's sold in a different way, and I I tend to enjoy it in that way. It's, Scott- it's different. It's different in Japan, though. Like when you compare that, like mm-hmm. people just use chairs and tables all the time. Like they really only do DQs in Japan, especially New Japan, if like for like outside interference. Really, mm-hmm. you see people just like use chairs. Would a low blow get a DQ? What low blow? Um, low blows they actually will do DQs for. I mean, at the very least, like. That's why they always like do like they at least like make an effort to like do a bunch of distraction stuff when they do a DQ or when they do a low blow. But like when if you're just like hitting someone with a chair, like they'll just do it. You know, I will say well, evil does that spot every match where he like where he like puts the chair on the guy's head and then hits it with another chair. It does that every match. It's always right in front of the referee. And it's just good that he's not getting DQ'd with it. You know, I will say you have to go watch Scott just argue with the fans beforehand. If for nothing else, the moment where there's a woman groping him and he's in an argument with, I, I presume, the boyfriend or husband. Yeah. And she's just <laughs> touching his pecs. Yeah. It's just it's just entertaining as all hell. They call him the big bad. They call him the big bad booty daddy for a reason. He had all those freaks for a reason, brother. <laughs> yeah, they, he did. Um, but book a book also displays some great offense. His scissor kick is always good. Hits a hell of a, a spine buster on Papa Pump, and then the Steiner with the ref counting the count is just. I've never seen it before, and I immediately need more of it. Um, yeah. But this is a perfect. I'm not sure how much Papa Pump has been around at this time in WCW, but if you've never experienced Scott Steiner as Big Papa Pump, this is a great match to kind of understand what his uh, what his appeal was. Yeah, uh, it's it just absolute manic energy from Scott Steiner. <laughs> I mean, it's like he's a guy that like, you know, the, the best wrestlers are larger than life. 
you know, mm-hmm. and Scott Steiner is literally just a person that you cannot even conceive of him being a real human being, you know, <laughs> no <laughs> really he, just a cartoon character. He's the literal cartoon version of professional wrestler. Yeah, he's like just in 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 just like the most insane fever dream, like this parody of what professional wrestling is like. That's who he is in real life, you know, just insane. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. It, this match is more entertaining than it probably should be, you know. Um, next up, here we go. Big shit. Rivalry renewed. Big time shit here. Kevin Nash, who broke Goldberg's winning streak at Starcade 97 a few months before, or Starcade 98, rather, a few months before. Uh, we've got the rematch. The big boy Goldberg wants revenge. Kevin Nash comes out accompanied by his compatriots in the NWO Wolfpack, Lex Luger and Miss Elizabeth. And uh, this match is short and sweet. Pretty simple story, but the crowd's into it. They love Goldberg, obviously. Big Goldberg chants. Um, Nash gets heat on Goldberg right away. We have a spot where Elizabeth distracts the referee and Kevin Nash hits him in the nuts, which after last match, why Why even bother with the distraction? You just saw Scott Snyder kick a guy in the nuts right in front of the referee and no DQ. Why worry about distracting the ref in that case? Uh, but they do distract the ref and he kicks him in the nuts and he beats him up for a while. Um, he hits the really big sidewalk slam. That's his, his last like really big move that he hits. Goldberg gets his comeback. He hits a big flying shoulder tackle that like he blatantly misses. Like he makes no contact with Kevin Nash on the shoulder tackle, but they sell for it anyway. Then uh, he hits this crazy looking like half hatch suplex where he just powers him the fuck up. This fucking seven foot tall, 300 pound freak just all muscle powers him up um, and hits the suplex Um, thrust kick. He goes for the spear, but Kevin Nash leapfrogs him and he spears the referees. The referee is out. Luger hits Goldberg with a really weak-looking chair shot. Luger takes the straps down. He looks like he's setting up to hit the uh, the jackknife powerbomb. But Goldberg counters by grabbing his dick. He puts him in the testicular claw. The old five-on-two. And the best part, Tony Schiavone, I, I know that he was going for like a playoff of the jackknife, right? But he's... Goldberg is grabbing his dick and Tony Schiavone just yells, Jack this, Kevin Nash. (laughs) As he says, Jack this, as Goldberg is grabbing Kevin Nash's penis. I lost my shit when he's, when that happened. Um, I don't know if Tony Schiavone did that on purpose or what, but it was hilarious. So he, he just crushes his nuts with his bare hand. He sends Luger packing. He hits the spear to Nash. He hits him with the big jackhammer. And the referee is up in time to count the pin. Seven minutes, 44 seconds. Goldberg avenges his defeat to Kevin Nash. Goldberg does feel like a superhero here. And like does. I mean, that's the thing about Goldberg. There is this larger than life fucking superhero quality about him that when you you look back at him, it's like, why was Goldberg so over? He he looks like beefed up Lex Luthor who doesn't need a super suit. Why was Goldberg such a phenomenon when 
he did the, just the same two things every match. He really like you can't call him a great worker. It's like this is why he felt like a fucking superhero. All of his shit looked amazing. And he had this just explosive charisma that like he didn't really need to speak. You know what I mean? But just like the way that he carried himself in the ring and the way that he fired up and shit, he just felt like it's fucking. Yeah, you're right. He felt like a super a gladiator. He was like, like a throwback to the Coliseum days. Just someone that's going to go out there and rip the head off a lion. Yeah. I mean, like you like that is a guy. And when you see him pick. Kevin Nash, who's one of the largest motherfuckers on earth, and power him up and hit him with the fucking jackhammer. Like, you you watch him and you're like, God fucking damn. Like, this guy, like, you would believe that this guy could do anything. That that said, that said the jackhammer is in the spot of the match. The spot of the match is Kevin Nash jumping. Kevin Nash does jump. I did think <laughs> that it was really funny that, like, the referee in the Steiner-Booker match sold way longer for like accidentally getting running into like book like sold way longer for Booker accidentally running into him than this referee sold for go- like taking a Goldberg spear, spear. At point blank range. <laughs> I did think so that too. He was up way faster than uh, than the referee in the last match was. I was like, damn, this ref is on some shit right now. I thought that was. I thought like. That that stood out to me. I thought that was crazy. It was very funny to think about. Oh, so this ref is either superhuman or the Goldberg spear isn't that good. Yeah, I was like one or the other. Like this is why you have agents that like coordinate stuff and make sure. Hey, uh, let's make sure all of our stuff is consistent. You know, <laughs> because it just like that doesn't make sense. Um, it's it's cool and it was fun to watch. Like yes, Kevin Nash jumping crazy that dude hasn't jumped since he's playing it he hasn't jumped since he played basketball at tennessee i'm not sure he probably jumped then uh yeah probably not but like yeah i mean it's it is crazy but i just thought that was really funny the goal the referee the referee took that spear you know sold that less than dolph ziggler did you know certainly did yeah i thought that was i thought that was i thought that was really funny but yeah very simple shit you know but you know they put goldberg over as clean as you possibly fucking can you know, uh, they they did some damage to him by have him losing that uh, the, the 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 streak in especially in as weird and stupid of a way as he did. But but if you're going to try and really rebuild him back um, to where he was and, and beyond stuff like this. That'll do it. They made Goldberg look amazing. So. We now come to the main event and it's a pretty fucked vibe because it is a wcw pay-per-view main event and where is michael buffer no buffer where the fuck is michael buffer where is my michael buffer at way to tell me that this is not on your radar at all wcw i mean what the fuck you could not fly the man out here for such a for such a crowning moment in jersey history they could not get michael buffer this is literally like the moon landing for New Jersey. This is the first time anyone from New Jersey has ever achieved anything of note in history. I'm pretty sure we have a president or two. Woodrow Wilson? Grover Cleveland? Get the fuck out of here. Um, but yeah. Like, it, it, one of the most, uh, like, consequential moments in New Jersey history. And Michael Buffer is just saying to you, man, I don't give a shit about you or anything that you care about fun fact woodrow wilson's father's middle name was ruggles 
That's crazy. <laughs> that's that's pretty fucking crazy, honestly. Ruggles. Michael Buffer grew up in Philly, so he's you know he's from he's from the New Jersey area. I'm sure he's aware of just how uh, just how uh, you know or he's he's from not that far from New Jersey, right? No. Um, I'm sure he's very well aware of how much this moment means, how much DDP means. He's the president of New Jersey. I wish. He just can't be bothered. He's doing that on purpose to hurt you specifically. I know he is. How dare he? A four corners match for the WCW World Heavyweight title. Uh, Rule wise, just a normal fatal four way match. All four guys in the ring at the same time. First pinfall or submission wins. And we have a special guest referee and a guy, you know, maybe getting the biggest reaction of any of the people involved in this main event match. It is the Macho Man Randy Savage as the special guest referee. Um, who, you know, maybe ties with certain people, ties with Hogan and the NWO and all that stuff. Well, he mostly plays this straight up until the very end. Um, so he comes out to a big reaction with uh, an unnamed blonde bombshell on his on his arm. Um, they they don't even call him. They, they, they called Chastity the girl. They don't even call her the girl. No. Like, like all they do is like like Shivani and uh, like fucking. Uh, like Keenan are like, damn, who's that hot? Who's who's she? She's she's hot. And then they just, you know, yeah, they don't even really, they don't even acknowledge her. Also, really weird spot that didn't get mentioned. Tony trying to get Tanae to make a lewd comment about chastity earlier. That was also yeah. cringy. Mike Tanae is too much of a fucking professional for that kind of nonsense to work on him. Thank God for that. God bless Mike today. Um, the competitors in order. It is the world champion. The nature boy, Ric Flair, coming out first, then followed by the challengers, the king of Jersey, Diamond Dallas Page, uh, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, and the man they call Sting. I mean, fuck, yeah, again, talk about star power in this match. Hogan, Flair, Sting, DDP. Some guys, and and Macho Man as the, God, as, as the referee. Loaded. Talk about some guys who have sold some tickets in their fucking careers. Um, this match is weird. So they kind of pair off to start. Um, we've got Flair and Hogan fighting on the outside and we got DDP and Sting just having, doing some normal wrestling spots on the inside. Um, eventually Sting hits a stinger splash, goes for the pin, Flair breaks up, turns into guys aimlessly fighting for a while. Um, and then you have, uh, you have Hogan in the first couple minutes. Hogan was supposed to be a heel at the time, I believe, um, doing the Hulk, hulking up, doing his classic Hulk up comeback on Ric Flair two minutes into this match. I mean, he has the full deal. The Hulk up, the point, three punches, whip, boot, uh, fucking clo uh, leg drop. He does the whole thing here, like two minutes into this match. Um, while... On the other side of the ring, Sting is putting DDP into the Scorpion Deathlock, and that forces Sting to let go of the hold and break up the pin. The next couple minutes is, okay, well, fuck Hulk Hogan. Everyone starts going after Hogan, and they they work over the knee. Flair puts Hogan in the figure four. Then Diamond Dallas Page puts Hogan in the Bret Hart style figure four leg lock around the ring post. One of my favorites ever. A classic. Um, and Sting ends up breaking the hold before, uh, Hogan can submit, but damage is done. Hogan is out. The trainer comes down 
And they end up helping Hogan to the back. Even Eric Bischoff himself comes out to check on Hogan. He's being carried to the back, and Hogan is gone. Hulk Hogan is in this match for about four minutes, and then he sells the shit out of there. Maybe a little longer, but I mean, he doesn't make it a third of the way through the match. And then he just leaves, and he's out. He sells the, you know, normally we're so accustomed now to when they do this spot, you know, someone leaving early with injury, they always end up dramatically returning to the ring at the end and figuring into the finish somehow. But not here. Hogan is gone. He is out. And this four-way is now a three-way. And they basically just reset the match. Like, we they they we see Hogan going up the ramp backstage, never to be seen again. And then we cut back to the ring uh, to see Flair and Sting locking up. Uh, you know? And we just completely reset this match. And then it turns into Flair and DDP basically taking turns trying to go after Sting while the other one stands there and watches the other one. Um... They, uh, yeah, so that goes on for a little while where it's just like Sting, uh, Flair tries to beat up Sting while DDP stands there and then they trade off and DDP is going after Sting and Flair is standing there watching. Um, DDP hits a tombstone pile driver and then that kind of breaks up that rhythm. Uh, Flair has to break up the pin. Sting then goes up. He hits Flair with a big superplex. Um, Sting and DDP again taking turns beating him up, but then Sting fires up, no sells it, hits him with a double clothesline, gets a big comeback on the two of them, uh, hits DDP with a bulldog, hits Flair with a stinger splash, puts Flair with the scorpion deathlock, but DDP is able to break up the hold. Sting then uh, floats over, hits DDP with a scorpion death drop. Flair locks on the figure four after this, so DDP is kind of out. He's taken the scorpion death drop. Flair is able to take advantage. He gets Flair in the figure four. Um, Sting is still firing up on him. He's able to get to the rope and Macho Man starts counting. He's like, Hey, let go. Um, Flair refuses to let go of the hold, which it's a no DQ, right? I mean, you yeah. think fatal four rights, no DQ. Um, we've, we've had extensive discussions about, uh, do rope breaks make sense here? And I, you know, I, I think in this situation, no, but whatever. Um, so, Flair refuses to respect the guest referee, Macho Man Randy Savage, who to this point has been, a, you know, you, you barely noticed him. He has played this all completely right down the middle. So, but he does not listen to uh, uh, Macho Man and let go of the hold. So Macho Man says, all right, bet, motherfucker. So he <laughs> grabs Flair, drags him over to the middle of the ring. He's still got Sting in the figure four. Then Macho Man climbs up to the top rope and he elbow drops Ric Flair with the with his famous diving elbow drop, kills Ric Flair with it. Sting, who has just been in the figure four for like 10 minutes, rolls out of the ring. And that allows Diamond Dallas Page to get in the ring and he hits Ric Flair with the diamond cutter. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We have a new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. The dream has come true for every little boy and girl up and down the turnpike and all exits in between. Diamond Dallas Page is world champion for the very first time in his career. 17 minutes and 27 seconds. Uh, boy, oh boy, I bet that filled your heart watching that, Angelo. I mean, I'm very happy DDP got world champion, but this is how they do it. This this is how he gets his first world championship. 
This a is a weird match. A very weird match with a weird structure, a weird story. And I hate to say it, DDP was not that over here. No. I, I over of any of the guys in this match. I agree. I, he feels like kind of an afterthought in yeah, a lot of ways. If if so, not knowing who's winning the match going in, you would assume looking at the guys in the match, he was there to eat the pin. DDP is the pin eater. Exactly. It's about what was, exactly what I was about to say. You're thinking, oh, well, DDP's there to eat the pin. But it turns out he's not. He's there to fucking win. Which, I, I mean, hey, great. But, you know, he, he this is a guy that like, especially when you when you when you read about kind of the situation and the booking and think about like, when was DDP most over? This was if they were going to pull the trigger on, they probably should have done it like six months before he had kind of cooled off by this point. Yeah, it's and, and unfortunately, it does feel very much that way. It's like a it, it's an after the fact make good. Yeah, it's and like, you know, I love DDP. Fantastic guy. Enjoy watching him. You love DDP. But the, it really did feel like he was here to eat the pin. And as far as like the story of like winning his first championship, they don't tell that at all at commentary or throughout the entire pay-per-view. Like they're not yeah. talking about this match in any way. The story is mostly Flair, who's I think supposed to defend against Hogan in a singles match. And somebody didn't like that. So essentially it was like, here, we're going to do this match with four people and get Savage in as a special guest referee. Uh, the story is very weird. Sa- right. Savage's influence on the match. Like, obviously there's going to be a huge feud now with Flair and Savage, you'd assume. But like, where does that leave DDP? Like DDP pinned Flair, but Flair's going to probably feud with Savage after this. So, okay. Is yeah. It's it's like it's like the money in the bank scenario. Whenever a babyface wins money in the bank and then cashes in on the heel and then wins that title, they have no idea how to book the championship reign. You already see the wheels coming off of this baby. Like and I don't even know if DDP is a babyface here. It's just how is this championship going to run yeah. when the guy who le- who probably has the most claim isn't going to be focused on him because he's more focused on settling a grudge. Yeah. How easy would it have been to? I mean, fuck. How easy would it have been? To build up this like underdog DDP story. So this easy. Guy, this guy who has been a popular babyface for a, a, a bit, right? He's cooled down some, but has has in the past been very over. Who is the one guy in this match who has never won the world title. And he's in there with Flair. He's in there with Hogan. He's in there with Sting. I mean, those are three, three of the biggest stars in the world. Three guys that have held the world championship uh, between them 738,000 fucking times, right? And DDP is the underdog who has never, he's he's the guy in this match that's never been to the top of the mountain. How easy would it have been to lean into that and build up that story, right? And they've told that story before. Like WCW has done it, WWF, WWE has done it. Every wrestling company has done it. The baby face or the person who's, you know, they've had chances before, but they have a real chance now to win their first world title. Like that first world title should mean something to you. And it's not told at all. It's just, hey, he's here. Yeah. Oh, look, he wins. And he, and he wins with one of the biggest asterisks you can have as a as a champion. And it it's is, not clear if he's a healer face and it doesn't do him any favors. Yeah, it's it's not. Uh, yeah, it it's not it's, it's not only that, like they they did not take the opportunity to build up this story, which could have been a very good story that like really gotten the fans behind DDP. I think they very easily could have gotten the fans behind DDP if they wanted to highlight that and, and tell that story, especially since they're 
fucking choosing him to win the title here, you know? But they don't mention it at all, really, until the very end, until after he has won the title. Then they're like, oh, yeah, DDP won the world title for the first time. Holy shit, he's the champion for the first time. And it's like, you could have mentioned that beforehand. Like, you could have taken two seconds to mention that, and make that part of the story of the match. But they didn't. They chose not to. And it's I, for me, it's such a crazy missed opportunity. Goes back to the fact that they thought their shit didn't stink. And it's just being checked out. It really, it especially sucks because, like, yeah, this match isn't that good. Um, like it, the structure is really weird, and especially Hogan going out so early takes more of the mustard off of DDP because again, he's a guy that has been a baby face, but like, yeah, you kind of can't tell if he's working baby face or healer. He's kind of put into the position where he kind of has to work heel here because the one guy in this match who is like a definite heel leaves in the first five minutes yeah i mean flair is a guy that can work a heel style but and and has worked a very heelish style most of his career but is very popular as a babyface. fans love flair um sting is fucking sting <laughs> a babyface his entire career and he will never not be a babyface. so that leaves especially with hogan gone that leaves DDP in that position where it's like, well, he's kind of got to do this because we don't have any other options, really. Um, and it sucks, you know. It's, and, it, uh, it, it, it takes more of the mustard off of it because they, they, he doesn't like they're, they're just forced by the, the way that they book this match. And they're forced by them ha- doing this fucking like injury angle with with Hogan and having him leave the match. That it then forces DDP to work this kind of like this kind of tweener, this this tweener role that really just kind of wasn't a good idea. No. Uh, also, like, I would bet anything Hogan was going to come back out. Like, yeah, I, I will bet any amount of money Hogan was coming back out. Yeah. We are. I, I said this before this when we started talking about this match. We are so conditioned now. Every single because we've seen it a bunch of times. Every single time you do this injury spot at the beginning of like a multi-man match. You, we, we are accustomed to, well, we know that guy's going to make a dramatic return. And he's going to figure into the finish somehow, and we'll see what happens. We know he's going to make a dramatic return. Because, you know, and, and, and that might be a little bit played out, right? And a little predictable. But it's better than the alternative of, like, one of the biggest stars on the show leaves five minutes into his match, and then he just is gone. Also, leaves. how many people, I mean, again... Hogan was was stale by this point, but he is He's one of Hogan. the most famous wrestlers on earth. I'm sure there were people in that crowd that bought tickets to see Hogan, and they see him for two seconds, and he's gone, and then they get no resolution out of it. He just leaves. They say nothing. He's just, oh yeah, Hogan's gone. Fuck, fuck you. You know. Well, we we that know sucks. how. We, I would have to be one of the. I like that is such an fu to the fans that like because again he was he was kind of stale by this point, but. I know that there were fans that wanted to see him, that were there. There were Hogan fans that you know, bought tickets to see him or bought the pay-per-view to see him. And it's just like, hey, fuck you, eat shit, motherfucker. And shit like that is how you kill towns. Like, it's not that bad here, but that shit like that is how you kill towns and how you mm-hmm. fuck your business. 
Well, we know how the Hogan story goes with WCW. I can't help but wonder, like, let's play this game. We're assuming, like, going to this match, you're assuming DDP is the pin guy. One of the other three is going to pin DDP, and that's how they're going to win the championship. We now know DDP is the winner of the match. Who here is the biggest win for DDP to pin? And who here is the least impressive win for DDP to pin if he's going over? DDP as a babyface. Hitting Hogan with the diamond cutter and pinning him, people would probably love that shit. But do you think that Hulk Hogan is going to let Diamond Dallas Page go over on him clean? Fuck ass no. Fuck ass no, brother. That's not That won't work for me, brother. And if you want to play the heel, well, pinning Sting is probably up there because it's, it's freaking Sting. Flair, like, as much as Flair is awesome and we love Flair because he understands the business and is always willing to make his opponents look good. Objectively, DDP pinning Flair is the least over you could put DDP in this match. DDP pinning Flair after the two of them spent the previous 10 minutes mostly ganging up on the biggest babyface in the match together. And then, oh, then DDP turns around and pins Flair is the worst option of any option that you could have chosen for how you book this match. You know, tremendously dumb. The worst thing you could think of. But that's what they end up doing. So it takes a lot of steam and shine off of what should have been a great moment. A guy, you know, DDP, who's been a beloved star, winning the title for the very first time. That will take us, Angelo, to our two and a half marks. Why don't you start us off? I initially had my negative half mark going to 90s audio mixing and setup because the audio for this entire show is pretty up and down. But I think I'm going to go ahead and give it to Tony in the brain because holy shit, guys, the reason why we enjoy listening to you is because you bring us into the room with you and make it feel like we're watching the show with you. You did not give a flying shit. This is like going over to your apartment for WrestleMania and then you're not talking at all about any of the guys who are on the show who maybe laps fans or people that don't watch wrestling don't know because that was something that really helped. It's like, hey, this is what they've been doing for the past few years. And, you know, we get to understand what's going on. Tony and the brain did not care. They barely called the matches in a way that, like, made the matches feel important. They said stupid things like putting a, a not set, no selling the garbage can, a crime. So Tony and the brain really did do no favors here. The matches itself, like, again, most either boring or good uh, on that scale. And one of the last good WCW pay-per-views that they ever did. And you have Tony and the brain really doing their best to make the enjoyment level go as low as possible. And I think that's unforgivable. My one mark is going to Charles Robinson. Uh, It's not often you shout out a ref, but you know, that Benoit Malenko Raven Saturn match was so, was so good and so well paced, but also so hectic. And Charles Robinson plays his role perfectly. The, the Cloverleaf submission, he's doing a great job and really helping sell how the Cloverleaf is just such a devastating move because he's got his hand ready to ring the bell to call the match over for, for the finish. But, but he reaches the ropes and then doesn't know. So does a great job maneuvering, does a great job of like, while there's a lot of shenanigans going on, not being that clueless ref who's just clearly looking the other way. He's really just like, doing his job as well as he can do it he doesn't call attention away from the match but it is it does really stand out when you're watching it uh in the right ways so one mark to charles robinson and then my two marks it can't go to anything else it's papa pump's pre-match lap i was just losing my gourd the entire time he's walking around talking shit to the fans it's hysterical it's so funny it's like 
that crowd interaction is what pro wrestling is all about. And, you know, he's an insane person, but by God, is it entertaining just watch him bark at people. So funny. Two marks to that. Yeah, I'm going to give my half mark to the NWO Wolfpack theme song. Yes, very good. One of the greatest theme songs ever composed in the history of wrestling. And we get to hear it like a few different times, especially towards the end. Uh, but man, does that shit fucking go? God damn. It is, it is absolutely magic. Magic every single time. I, I'm, I'm going to be, I, I also had a negative one mark to the announce crew, just kind of, yeah, like ruining almost everything on the show. You, I can't really add anything more than, uh, than you did. Um, and I'm going to give my, my full two marks to, just going out there and so so I'm going to get my full two mark two marks to Mikey Whipwreck for being just a guy going out there uh, dressed in like literally just looking like any other guy dressed like any other guy doing just like just just going out there and being like, hey, I'm I'm Mikey Whipwreck. I'm reporting for work. Do I look like a pro wrestler? No. Do I carry myself like a pro wrestler? No. Um, I can do some fun stunts, though. And somehow, like, making a whole career out of that, getting to the point where, like, he is wrestling on a WSW pay-per-view. You know what I mean? Like, he is wrestling on a pay-per-view for one of the biggest wrestling companies in the world. For a guy that, like, again, like, probably had, like, no, like, shouldn't really have had any business being there, to be honest with you. But, like got an entire career out of just being this kind of like fun underdog that the crowd related to and was like athletic enough that he could do some good stuff and was like willing to take good bumps. I feel like I don't talk enough about how much I like Mikey Whipwreck because like he just kind of like he kind of fell backwards into it, but then ended up having like an illegitimate career and like actually like again, like didn't have much of a WCW run. He was there for a short period. He was kind of removed for like removed from the environment that he really fit into and that really made him when he was at ECW. But 99% of pro wrestlers don't get to where Mikey Whipwreck was here. I mean, Mikey Whipwreck is every Mark's dream, isn't it? Yeah, I just I, I, I respect him. And in the absence of like anything else that like really jumps out at me that hard for like two marks. I, I, I want to give a shout out to Mikey, dude. I think it's fair. I think yeah. it's a very good one. I think that's a, I think it's well earned. So that will bring us to our final order of business. I'm going to hit the randomizer and see what we're going to be watching next time on the podcast. Angelo, as I pull this up, what do you want to see? I don't want to see it. However, for the bit, it would be hysterical. Uh, let's get another Spring Stampede, if possible, Spring Stampede 2000, because God knows what unholy, sanctimonious shit happens on that card. Oh, uh, well, 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 no, that's not what we're doing even a little bit, folks. We are going far into the future, and we are going to be watching, Angelo, you called many, many times in the past for a, uh, like a pandemic paper. Oh no. <laughs> and we've got money in the bank 2020, the Otis money in the bank 
The one where they're fighting up the one that was at Titan Tower. The one where Baron Corbin kills Rey Mysterio. <laughs> Baron Corbin murders someone, like in kayfabe, throws a man <laughs> off the top of a skyscraper and kills him. Uh, you called for this many times. You've always wanted a pandemic cave. I'm so excited. And my friend, your your wildest dreams have at last come through. Next time on the podcast, WWE Money in the Bank 2020. Yes, our big, beautiful boy Otis taking it home in the main events. What a magical time it was. What a What a bizarre fucking time it was to be a wrestling fan. God, I'm so excited. So, yeah, next time on the pod, Money in the Bank 2020. So, uh, for my good friend Angela and Glisa, my name is David Statman. Thanks, everybody, for listening.